I was standing there when we were worshiping, and one of the things I've always loved is I always love the color of the lights because it's our stained glass. If you don't know that, I mean, those lights are our stained glass, and they're a lot cheaper than stained glass. Okay, that's what we love is just the beauty of color and all that, and just watching them while we were worshiping. It's, you know, God created color and the whole thing. But, you know, it's the generosity of the of the of the of the church that's made things like that possible, right? This place that we're in today. Aren't you glad we have a roof today, for example? We're glad of that. Um, But here's why, this is one reason why I just love, I I wish you had the privilege of leading a church that always answers the bell. I, I, you know, I'll share today. I, I, I think God intentionally put me in a church early on that, didn't answer the bell, so that I would never fail to appreciate a church that always answers the bell. Well, get this. Here's um, our generosity. You heard about the Hope for Christmas store uh, that we were a part of as we journeyed through Christmas. Get this, that 13,000 pairs of socks were collected from Southbrookers. 13,000 pairs of socks and underwear for children in need 1,067 children received socks and underwear because of your generosity, Southbrook. 1,067. The average retail value of the socks and underwear was over $40,000. Now, I read that, and I wonder how many kids got socks and underwear for Christmas because you bought extra, and you thought, hey, I'm just going to give it to them for Christmas. But you chose to make the di- uh, difference in the lives of nearly 1,100 children. And, and just, Southbrook, thank you for that. And for, for those of you who maybe weren't here then, we want you to just get on that. The, the whole movement of Christ is one of generosity. That's what it is. That's why it's always perplexing when someone's, you know, there's no such thing as a stingy Christian. There's no, that's the ultimate oxymoron. <laughs> Because he who was rich for our sakes became poor that we might through his righteousness become rich. And thank you for that. And if you want to be a part of this generosity movement to make Dayton better when we leave it than it was when we found it and our world, then uh, go to southbrook.org. You can go to the PushPay app. You'll find us there. That's how like, we give to the church is through the PushPay app. You can do that. Or you can use the boxes out at the welcome counter. We are in the book of Romans, but more specifically, we are in Romans chapter 8. And uh, Super Bowl Sunday, things I'm looking, Super Sunday, the thing I'm looking forward to is we're ending Romans 8 on Super Sunday. So you don't want to miss it because I'm going to give you the explanation for what the phrase more than conquerors really means. And it's deeper than you think it is. And through him who loved us, nothing can separate us from that love we just sang about and so that's the big reason why we are celebrating on Super Sunday is Romans 8, 38 through 40. But today, I'm going to tell you about something that it's, it's something all of us want. You know, sometimes we speak about things, we teach in things that not everybody's all that in. But I guarantee you, you will be interested in the, the overarching implication of this teaching today is if you live what I'm going to teach you through Romans 8, 26 to 30, you will live life with confidence. And everybody wants confidence. We find ways to get pseudo-confidence through our achievements, but in the back of our mind, we know they're fragile, and we know they're fleeting, and we know there's always someone smarter, someone faster, someone more equipped. 
But what I want to give you today is the basis for a life of true confidence. Anybody here want confidence? Yeah, we all do. We all do. We all want confidence. We don't want fake confidence, which is the modus operandi of American culture. We want real confidence. So I'm going to walk us through this text, and then I'm going to apply it with three applications. In the same way, so whenever you see a therefore, in the same way, you got to look previous. And Paul's talking about that, the, that our present sufferings are not worth compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And this is a hope that we wait for patiently. Now, how do we do that? Well, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray for, for example, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, that's really fascinating because, as you'll see if you come on Super Sunday, I'm going to explain how that word was was not a word of... you, You didn't admit to groaning in that culture. And yet, all of us know there are times or there will be times in life when we don't have the words to express our grief, our pain, our disillusionment. And this is where the scriptures are so grounded in reality that when those times come, and they will, don't stop praying. Why? Because the Spirit himself intercedes for us through those wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit joins with us, intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So God's Spirit, even in your deep pain, that there's nothing to be ashamed of that groan, the Spirit is there drawing you to do the will of God. Now, I, one of the reasons I say this is that some of us grew up in cultural settings where it was, it was a shame to show weakness. And one of the ways this gets translated in Christian theology is if you have real faith, you'll never, be, you'll never struggle. You'll, you'll have better experiences all the time. And that's not the testimony of the New Testament at all. As a matter of fact, if you follow the king of suffering, what are you going to experience? You're going to experience just on that basis alone a world that doesn't like you either. So just following him, you're going to have some suffering. Even if all of the rest of life is, you know, peaches and cream, that's not going to be the case if you follow Jesus. The Spirit, though, intercedes so we can walk down that will of God. And the implication of this, this is so much of Romans 8 is what we teach in Player's Box, but one of it is, is students, it is natural to groan. It's not, there's not a, you don't have a mental health problem if you're groaning, okay? What we've done is if a student is struggling, they got a, they got a mental health problem. No, they don't. That's natural, especially with all the chemicals going through your body right now. It's natural to groan. And yet, the Spirit is with you, searching your heart, reading your heart. Look at what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, I'm going to give you something here that I'm going to come back to, but it's important you see this now. The word works is synergy, which, from which we get the word synergy. I think, as many a lot of others, I'm not a scholar, as many scholars think that it should be translated, God works with those who love him. Because it's synergy. It's you, you have a part in this. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but it's not just, okay, okay God, go to work. He works with those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he all, these are five verbs. He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Now let me walk us through that with three points of application that are so simple but they are the foundation to authentic confidence in a world that is so uncertain, in a, in, a, in, a, in a life that is so uncertain. Many of you know I've been battling some health things. And a couple weeks ago, I thought, boy, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm out of the woods. I was sitting on my couch, and I, boom, I got hit again with another, you know. And, and a couple hours later, it happened again, out of nowhere. And I don't trust my body right now. Now, I had nothing to do with I was watching the Browns play in the playoff game. It had nothing to do with that. But it just hit me out of nowhere. And I don't know about you, but this really applies to me for right now. How can I live confidently when I don't even trust my body? Well, here it is. Paul's telling us to use the power available to us, trust the purposes of God, and know the process. So let's walk through that. First, he says, even when life is uncertain, even when you're not getting the likes you want, even when you're not getting the grades you want, you're not getting the promotion, even when you've got cancer, lean into the power of God because the Spirit helps us in our prayer. There are times, he said, we don't know what to pray for. We have no words to pray with, and a lot of us, as a result of that, we just don't pray. I don't know what to say to God. I've got to have something profound. And this text is saying, you may be having deep personal loss that has left you speechless, or you're confronted with a life-changing decision, or you're having to confront your own failings and flaws and insecurities, and your vocabulary is, is inefficient and insufficient. And that is when the Spirit takes over. Isn't that amazing? This verse changed how I saw prayer. I grew up religious, so I always thought you had to have the right words. Isn't this amazing? You don't have to write that, the right words. Sometimes you don't even have to have words. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. When we feel so weak as a child, this is telling us all we have to do is turn to our Abba, yes. our Father. Yes. Engage with him. The Father searches our hearts, hears the groans beneath our words, knows our affections and the words behind the request, and intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. The Spirit enables us to pray in line with God's plan and purposes. By the way, let me hit the pause button on this. One thing, I, Gary, Gary Sweeten has given me so many great uh, treasures, but, but I know Gary's listening right now. One of the great treasures Gary's list, give, given me is years ago he taught me, he said, when someone asks you to pray for them, respond by saying, you know, they'll say, oh, I, I need you to pray for me, Charlie, that, that I'll get this job. And you say, well, I won't pray that you get the job, but I'll ask God to tell me what it is that I need to pray for you. Because sometimes God doesn't want you to get that job, right? So I'm not going to pray that you get that job when God may not want that. He knows that would be the worst thing to happen to you. 
The Spirit searches our heart. Douglas Mao, the theologian, said, There is one in heaven, the Son of God, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges that might be brought against us, guaranteeing salvation in the day of judgment. That's what Hebrews teaches. It's what 1 Peter teaches. But there's also an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God, who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf throughout the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives here on earth. That means that you should never, ever choose to disengage. The, ter- the curtain temple when Jesus died was torn in two. You have access to the Holy of Holies all the time, even when you don't know what to pray. And prayer is simply this. You know, often we think prayer is saying the right words. Prayer is simply our focused attention toward God for the purpose of direct contact, communication. There's never, never, never any reason you shouldn't do that. Tennyson once said that, that more things from heaven are wrought on earth than earth dreams of. That there is a power available to all of us where God's will goes to work. And we unle- I don't understand it, but I don't understand electricity either. I still use it. I still use it. And this is a power that when you're groaning, that's the time to engage, even without words, even without words. It's not an excuse to be lazy, but it is an, uh, uh, an inspiration to be engaged. Now, that goes right along with center guy working with God because the next lesson is that if you're groaning right now, trust the purpose of God. And this sounds so simple, it's not that simple. It's really hard. The Spirit helps us when we're so confused that we're speechless, but then Paul says, but wait, there's more. Even when we're in confused and disillusioned, God works things with us for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I, I have to share this. It's been a couple years, but it's the most told story ever in the history of Southbrook. Is there's an old Asian story, a parable, about a man who had a horse and a son. And one day, the horse ran away. And the man's neighbors came over and said, oh, it's so bad, you lost your horse. And the, the old man said, oh, how do you know it's bad? Because the next day, the horse came back, and following that horse were 13 wild stallions, went right into the corral. And the neighbors came over and said, oh, that's so good. You, you got your horse back and 13 other wild horses. And the neighbor said, well, how do you know it's good? Because the next day, his son was trying to break one of those wild horses and got thrown from the horse and broke his arm severely. And neighbors came over and said, oh, it's so bad your son broke his arm. And the man said, well, how do you know it's bad? Because the next day, the warlords came by confiscating all able-bodied young men to go to war, but they couldn't take his son because he had a broken arm. And the point of that story is not that the neighbors had were buffoons who couldn't see life for what it was. The point of the story is it could go on forever, couldn't it? Because it's always bad when you lose your horse. It's always bad when your son breaks his arm, but there's something bigger going on, isn't there? There's something bigger going on. And this is the point of this text is no matter what's happening to you, you say there is no way good could come from this. There's no way. There's no way that this is going to lead to anything good and it leads to just groaning. And this is the amazing thing of the infinite God is he is omniscient and he is omnipresent. It means he's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's always working his purpose 
for our good. That's why when life goes right, our, our response should always be gratitude because it is of God. Uh, we should never say, boy, that was good luck. One luck, because our life is not at the whims of the fates. Um, whenever I, I'll have coaching friends and I'll text them and I'll say, hey, Godspeed tonight. I never want to say good luck. It's not about luck. God, when good things happen, it's Godspeed. It's God's timing. It's thank you, Lord, you made this happen. But when life goes wrong, we're to trust because God is also working. It's easier to see him working in the good stuff sometimes than it is in the bad stuff. And even though we say nothing good can come from this, this text says no. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is when Joseph is thrown into slavery. He's sold into slavery by his brothers who are envious of him. And through that story, Joseph eventually rises to become basically vice president of Egypt. And there's a famine, and his brothers have to come to Egypt to get food, to get supplies for the famine that's happening. And on that day of disclosure, what Joseph tells his brothers who he is, he says this, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. Amen. And this is what Archibald Hart called 50-20 vision, that the key to life, being confident, is having 50-20 vision. That even though, yeah, this is bad. I broke my arm. The horse threw me. I have cancer. My grades aren't good. That's not good. I have 50-20 vision. That God is working this bad thing for purposes that I don't fully understand. Now notice the two qualifiers. First, for those who love him. This is not just for everyone. For those who love him, who have made a commitment to God. Sinner guy, synergy is I've chosen to engage with God. God is a gentleman. He does not impose his will upon you. You have to respond. This is why when we see some of those words later that seem to imply we don't have any say in it, we do. We have a choice to love him. That's what love is. It is a choice. And your end in this, in this synergy is, have you made that commitment? Have you said, God, I want you involved in my life. I'm committed to your will, and I'm praying that. And then the second one is those who have been called according to his purpose. This means people who have surrendered to a purposeful relationship with God. And you can expect, he says, that good is come, coming from that. Now, the question is, what is the good? That's the question. Because a lot of times we look at it as, you know, Romans 8, 28 says that it, even though I got bad grades at midterm, God works all things for the good. I'm, those grades are going to come up by the end of the term. That doesn't mean that. The good is in verse 29 and 30. That everything, listen, for those who love him and have called according to his purpose, everything in your life is that you might be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now you say, but I'd rather have better grades. Because that doesn't mean much to you right now. Tim Keller, uh, one of my favorite Tim Keller stories, I'm going to tell another one, is, is when he told about when he was young pastor in Virginia, he said, this changed his ministry. This changed his ministry. One day, a teenage girl comes in, and she is distraught, and uh, she is upset. And he, what are you upset about? He says, she, no one's asking me to the prom. And Tim goes through this 
process where he explains to her, here's why, why you can know, though, that God loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose from you. Your sins are forgiven. Your present is, has his Holy Spirit. He, your future is secure in him. That's, that's what really matters. And, and he just said, I just gave a, a, a presentation of the gospel that impressed me. And then she looked at him and says, I know all that. But what does that matter if no one asks me to the prom? You see, you may think that getting asked to the prom is the good that you want to have happen in Romans 8, 28. But what is true is the best thing that could happen to you would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Why? Here's why. We have seen the glimpse of a complete human being. We saw it. We have beheld his glory. You know what that glory was? On the cross, he said, Father, the very people who put me here, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is a complete human being. That human being will not be beaten by anything who can do that. A person who can forgive the very people who crucified him. That person, bad grades aren't going to get them down. Trust me. Death cannot hold that person. The best thing that could happen to you is that God works all things together for your conformity to the likeness of his son. Because if that happens, you can't be beat. There is nothing life's gonna throw your way that is gonna keep you down. Death will not beat you because that reality is living in you. And so no wonder Paul says, trust this process it doesn't mean that more good things are gonna to come to you now because you're a Christian than those non-Christian pagans who don't love God and aren't called according to his purpose. No, it says in all things you might be conformed. Look at that, and then verse 30, 29 says that you might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is one of the great things about being a part of the movement of Christ is you're joining with other people that they're going through the same process. They're going through the same exacting, sometimes painful, but so worth it process that I'm more like Jesus today than I was a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I'll say it again, and I know this sounds repetitious, but this is Romans 8. C.S. Lewis, he will make the feeblest and filthy of us into a god or goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless love and power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in very parts painful, but that is what we're in for. Nothing less, he meant what he said. He is working to confirm form you to the likeness of his son. He means it. He means it. And I'm continually amazed. At, I just, you know, this is the thing about staying with Christ, staying with one church for a long time, is you get to see God work his purposes. I mean, you just, there are so many things that destroy the seeds of atheism in you. One of them is, is stay at one place a long time following Christ, and you, you get to see, whoa, how did that do that with that and that and that happened? And it's all to create brothers and sisters. <laughs> we start having the same family likeness because we have the same father. We're being conformed to that father, that son, our big brother. J. Wallace Hamilton used to tell the story of a, a 42nd and Broadway in New York City. There was a, a mama cat who had one of her kittens in her mouth and she was trying to cross 42nd and Broadway and a, a kind-hearted police officer saw what was going on. The, the mother cat would, would, would 
kind of start going forward, and then the traffic would come, and she would back off. And he, he stepped out to the traffic, and he raised his hand, and he stopped all traffic on 42nd and Broadway, and that mama cat just walked across safely, having no idea that the authority of the New York Police Department had been utilized for her good. No idea. That cat didn't know. A dog would have known. A dog would have stopped, <laughs> said, thank you, thank you, police officer. You're so nice. But that cat just went right on by like she just made it all happen. <laughs> but that's, that's the promise of God. When I came out of college in 1985, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Was anybody else there when, when you got out of college? You know, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and, uh, but I knew I wanted to go into to pastoral ministry, church leadership, and, and I had a couple of ministry options available, and Sherry and I chose to go to uh, a church in northern Kentucky that honestly, from a vocational perspective, was not a great fit. And I want to say this, we met lifelong friends, loved ones there that we still have a deep relationship with today, but vocationally, it was not a good fit. And I was really challenged, and I had to grow up so fast. Uh, I still have nightmares about some things I experienced there. I literally do. I've had to have therapy over the, the, the dreams I have about things that have. One time I was, I was just oh, a couple years in there, and uh, I remember we went to the McDonald's in Dry Ridge, and uh, a guy who I considered a friend was, was there eating with his family. Les was there, and he just stopped coming to church. He was a deacon. He stopped coming to church. And I went up to him and said, Les, how you doing? What, what, what's going on? Why do why you stop coming to church? What's going on? He looked up, and he goes, because of you. I said, and he goes, uh, it's your preaching. You don't know how to preach. Your sermons are immature, and you need to grow up. And I, I said, liar, liar, pants on fire. And I, and I didn't say that. I wanted to say that. I didn't say that. But I, I mean, it was just, I was in over my head. I was so in over my head. And I, I mean, I, I can only say that I still have, once a year, I'll have a dream that I move back there. And it's a nightmare. And I say that, people that are listening to this from there right now, I, it, I, there are people there I love. But I learned to be faithful, teaching four people in a cold basement on a Wednesday night, week after week. Um, I had to learn to do three messages a week, three different messages a week there. Um, but I was also only a half an hour from my alma mater, Cincinnati Bible College, and I was on a board, a committee, helping out with the pastoral ministry curriculum. And I remember the fall of 1991, they called a meeting for all day on a Saturday in the fall of 1991. And if you know me, my fall Saturdays are sacred. <laughs> you don't mess with my fall Saturdays. Saturdays. Uh, and uh, we had a meeting at the school about the curriculum. I didn't want to be there. I was griping the whole time that I was going there. And I sat next to Mike Cassera. And Mike Cassera was leading Bethany Church in Kettering at the time. And on one of the breaks, Mike, who would become a friend, looked over at me and he said, you know, there's a new church that just got planted in Centerville, Ohio, not far from us. I think you'd be a good fit and you ought to call them, and we did. 
And I think it's been a good fit. <laughs> I think it's been a good fit. And I say that because for seven years I was in pain. I groaned. I, I thought, this is not for me. But God was working, wasn't he? And I say that about this church because I guarantee you no one's grown more here than I have. Because I needed to grow up because I was immature. <laughs> and no one has. That's the way God works. Tim Keller, as I said, he pastored Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York. If you ever go to Manhattan, you ought to try out Redeemer. You won't be impressed. And that's what's impressive about it. But he would frequently ask Redeemer congregation, he would say, do you love our church? And they'd say, yes. He said, if so, you should thank Watergate. Watergate? Why Watergate? And he would explain, well, I planted Redeemer Church because I entered a Presbyterian denomination that encouraged church planting. I entered that denomination because in the last semester at seminary, I took two courses with a professor who convinced me to adopt Presbyterian theology. I sat under that professor because at the very last minute, the professor arrived at the seminary after having bureaucratic visa problems. He was from Britain. While that professor was having visa problems, the seminary dean prayed one day about how he didn't know how they were going to get the professor to arrive to teach the class, and his prayer partner happened to be a seminary student by the name of Mike Ford. Mike's father, you might know him, happened to be Gerald Ford, who was the president of the United States at that time. And that was how he could get through the bureaucratic snag. He had a friend in high places. Gerald Ford, the president, was the president because Richard Nixon resigned. Rick Nixon resigned because a bunch of burglars broke into Watergate and were caught. The burglars were caught because one of them happened to leave a door unlatched in an office. They had just bugged, and then a night watchman just happened to walk by and notice the unlatched door. So if that burglar hadn't latched that door, he said, you wouldn't be here tonight. <laughs> Even Watergate, he said happened for you. You see, Keller would go on to say, people talk about plan B. There is no plan B. There is only plan A. Your heavenly father is working it out for you that you might be one of many brothers and sisters. And we have to trust that. Sometimes we perceive about one of a billion reasons an event may happen. You know, a baby in a floating car seat cries in a river. And a woman happens to hear him crying. And years later, a bunch of people are set free from slavery because a baby cried. And here's the thing, is that we may hear that and go, gee whiz, that doesn't make me confident, that makes me less confident. I know, life, it's amazing how fragile it really is, isn't it? If this didn't happen, if, if I didn't sit beside Mike Cassara, I might still be in, whoo, living a nightmare, you know? I don't know, I don't know. But this is why we can have confidence. Our confidence is not our ability to make all the right decisions at all the right times with all the right people in all the right places. Our confidence is that he's working his purpose in that for those who love him. I have people I love very much who are listening to this today and are hurting very deeply. And I just want to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes it's wordless. In all your ways... Submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. 
Life is like a tapestry, isn't it? Ever seen a tapestry? It's beautiful on one side, the weave and the color of a tapestry. And then you turn it over, and it's just this jumbled mess of threads. And we see life on this side, don't we? We see it from the jumbled mess of threads. And one day, it's going to turn over. And we're going to see how he worked. That doesn't mean that every time your child falls off a horse, oh, this is so good. doesn't mean that. It's bad. Trust the purpose. And then lastly, you need to know the process. In verse 30, Paul lays out the process by which God has initiated his plan for making you one of many brothers and sisters who look like the son. I want to walk through these five verbs. First, he says, God foreknew, which means he set his love on us. Whenever you see God knew, God knew, God knew someone, it means he knew them in an intimate way. That's what the biblical understanding of God knowing us means he knows your name. So from the beginning of time, God had you on his draft board is what that means. From the beginning of time, he knew your real name. Actually, that'll be given to you in eternity, your real name that no one knows but God. And he knew that name from the beginning of time. So he initiated that. What's important about that is that when you get lacking confidence in your relationship with God, you didn't ask him out on a date. He asked you a long time ago. He foreknew you. He knew you long before. And then he predestined. God had a plan of a glorious destination. Now, some extremes of theology take that to mean there's no part in us on our side of the fence in making this happen. God predestines everything. That's not what it means. Predestined means, any of you ever got in your car and you set your GPS for a certain location? That's literally what predestination means. That God, when he knew in his foreknowledge that you would choose him, he predestined that you would be conformed to the likeness of his son, and he is arranging things that that may happen. He's using tragic events and joyful events that that may happen. God has his GPS set for you. As a matter of fact, the word for predestined is prohorizido, which prohorizon, it means, it literally is the word from which we get our word horizon. God has a horizon set for you. Just keep walking toward that purpose of love for him. And then he called. God made the first move. There was a first time when your internal illumination went on and you were awakened. Some of you might remember the day that happened when you were called. Like it came, it finally, maybe today that's happening. It, boom, I finally get it. It got through. And then for those of you who answered that call, he drafted you, and you said, I don't want to be a free agent anymore. I'm going to play for you. I love you. I've been called according to your purposes. Then he justified. He fully paid for your innocence. It's a legal term that means that you have been, it's just as if I had never sinned. That's the, one of the ways to remember that word is that God took your punishment to make you innocent. God does not relate to that which is full of sin. You no longer are full of sin. Jesus took your sin. And now you're a temple made ready for his presence. And then look at this. And those he justified, he glorified. God has promised to complete the likeness to the son plan process in eternity where you will have all sin eradicated from your being, body and soul. All sin will be fully, completely eradicated, which you don't know what, you don't know what it's like to live without the weight of sin. You don't, but one day you will. One day you'll know what it's like 
This is why Madeline Lingle, the great Catholic writer, said we, she believes we'll fly in heaven, which heaven's on earth. Why? Because we'll be free of sin, which weighs us down. Yes. We were meant to fly, she said. Now, that's a pretty neat plan. One of the things I have in the questions this week is to see where you are on that plan is so critical. Like, where are you? Because the pivotal point is the called part, where you have responded to that draft and said, I now know I've been called to be a son of God, a daughter of God. And my big brother, my savior, Jesus, is my mold. And actually the word used there is, is the idea of, you know, someone originally came up with the mold of the Corvette. And that was the, that was the standard. And then, and then all things on the assembly line were made according to that mold. And that's you. The, the, the mold is Jesus. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I know I've had a, a few uh, months of just uncertainty, but this really spoke to me this week because I know it to be true. Use the power, trust the purpose that God has, but know that there's, there's a process involved. And you just gotta stay on that process every day. That's all you have to do. You just to stay faithful to that process every day, even in your groans. And there was a story this year that really spoke to me. I thought of it many times when I had had uh, things stripped from me this fall. I was not able to physically do a lot of things that I'm used to doing. I'm still limited. But the late writer Bob Benson said that even though right now you can't label your experience, you can trust that God is working. And he, he said this. He said one of his friends, W.T., had a serious heart attack. And he said for a while it looked as if he would not make it. But he got better and he was finally strong enough for the surgery that was supposed to give him a new lease on life. And he said months later when he was talking about the heart attack and the surgery with his friend W.T., Bob asked him, he said, W.T., how'd you like your heart attack? He said, I hated it. It scared me to death. Would you like to do it again? No. Are you kidding? Would you recommend it? Definitely not. Does your life mean more to you now than it did before the heart attack? Well, yes. You and Nell have always had a beautiful marriage, but are you and Nell closer than you've ever been before? Yes. How about your new granddaughter, WT? Oh, yeah. Did I show, did I show you her picture? Do you have a new compassion for people who struggle and suffer? Do you have a deeper understanding and sympathy for those who are in pain? Yes. Do you know God in a richer, deeper fellowship than you ever realized before? Yes. WT, how'd you like your heart attack? Silence was his answer. Now, I've never met a person who, when they experience the pain of a heart attack, say, oh, good, now I get to be more like Jesus. This is great that this is happening to me. That's fake. I don't think that's real. But the reason the scriptures say we can rejoice in our suffering, not for it, is because of this principle. We lean even in our groaning into prayer. We grow deeper through the Spirit into Jesus. We learn to trust his purpose that he has for us that we don't know and that he has a process in motion that he started. We didn't start that. And that's why these three are key to whether you are 14 years old or 90 years old. You want to live a confident life? Use the power, trust the purpose, and know the process. 
and you can have all the confidence in the world. That's why faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, now as we get ready to go to communion, to just be still. Some, some are going to approach you today and they don't even have words. They're hurting so deeply. They're disillusioned. They don't even have words. But now prepare us right now as Eric comes to lead us to give us the next steps so that we put this into practice today. Do your work. Do your work. Go to work. We don't just believe you. We love you. We believe we've been called according to your purpose to be brothers and sisters of the same son. And we do it in his name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.